Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. Today I'm joined by Dr. Terry Adrian Gunnell, Professor of Folkloristics at the University of Iceland. Dr. Gunnell has written a great deal of books concerning the Old Norse world and the Viking Age, including The Nordic Apocalypse, Approaches to Voluspa, and Nordic Days of Judgment, and Masks and Mummying in the Nordic Area. And certainly I will put links to those books in the description below. Dr. Gunnell, thank you so much for joining me today. Nice to be with you. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because our topic of conversation today is something I've been wanting to delve into for quite some time, and that is the historical worship of the Norse gods. On this podcast, we've talked a lot about the Norse myths as presented in Snorri Sturluson's Prose Edda and the Poetic Edda and the various Icelandic sagas where um, many of the Norse gods make appearances, but we've never really talked about how in Old Norse society the Norse actually worshipped their gods. Now, I understand that the evidence for this is perhaps somewhat limited, but very basically, I'll just ask you, what kind of evidence is available to us for the historical worship of the Norse gods? Well, so certainly, as you say, we, we have in later times the sagas um, and the Eddic poems. But as regards the sagas, certainly that they're, they're, they're um, recorded, written down in about uh, from 12th, 13th, 14th century, which is number of, um, a number of centuries after, after Christianity took over. They're based on oral, oral memories of families. Um, but nonetheless, um, we, we need to bear in mind that these stories will have changed a little bit over time. Same with the Eddic poems, which many people feel as going back initially to about the year 1000 in many cases. But these two have been passed on over time for about 200, 270 years at least before they come to be recorded. So it means that we have to look at other things alongside this material to try and work out what actually is, is genuine, if we put that into sort of speech marks, whatever genuine is. Um, we need to look at other sorts of material, like, for example, archaeology to start off with. Um, and then we have things like place names, which, while they're found in later maps and so on, certainly sometimes come up in early, early records. And then we also have, have runic inscriptions and accounts by, by early um, Roman um, historians, for example, who came in contact with the, with the, old, with the Germanic and Old Norse peoples. So these things we have to use material to, together to try and get an overall picture. Yeah, um, so so if we, maybe if we start with by going back to by going back to Tacitus, he's writing in about 100 AD. Um, he's not been face to face with the Nordic people themselves, but he's certainly met a number of soldiers who've come back from there. Um, and uh, what it, we have to remember with him, at least, that it, that he's. Uh, in his work, um, Germania, which is about the Germanic tribes and the, um, to a certain extent, the Old Norse people as well, um, he's has a certain agenda in that he wants to um, criticize the uh, Latin society of its time and lift up certain things about about the sort of um, uh, honorable honorable pagan figures that that he's heard about in the north. But Tacitus certainly talks about, for example, the, the idea of casting twigs um, to find out things about the future. Um, he talks about human sacrifice by, by female priestesses. He talks about um, uh, war gods, for example. He talks about a god called Nerdus, which is very similar to the name Nerdur that we have in later times in, in, in our own part of the world. Um, he also talks about holy groves and uh, the fact that the, that that the people seem to worship and have celebrations at particular times of the of the year. So 
clearly we have some evidence of of the sort of religion that we're hearing about in later times. He mentions also about the um, Estonians who seem to worship a, a boar figure. We hear about boars in connection with Freya later on, and Freyd, and and also the idea that that um, certain gods are connected with ships, which we also get with with the, the Vanir gods in later times. So certainly, we we often go back to Tacitus to to compare. Um, later material, earlier material. And then we have, of course, things like the runes, and we have the, um, as I say, place names. If we, if we look at uh, other accounts before we come on to those, um, Anglo-Saxon accounts and other writers writing in Latin in later times, gradually they stop using um, Latin names for the gods like Mars and Mercury and Jupiter, for example. And gradually we find the names um, Wotan or Odin coming in and the name Thor coming in, and and uh, seemingly perhaps the name Tyr for for another war god. So, but clearly these that the, the these these historians are writing about the gods that we hear about in later times, although they're going to have changed over time. Whatever happens, and something else we need to remember is that there was no one religion running right across the the um, Germanic Nordic world as some people tried to suggest in the past. We're dealing much, much more with, a, um, as most everybody agrees now, with a great deal of variety in worship, um, depending on the type of society, on whether they were warriors or hunters or traders, and depending also on whether we were dealing with flatlands, mountains, sea, seafaring people or whatever. Meaning that certainly it may well be that, that um, different gods had different levels of importance in different places, and also that there is... Um, a development in the worship of particular gods, especially Odin, over time. Um, he seems to have been a slightly later god coming into the north from further south than, say, Thor, for example. We also need to, to get away a little bit from is, is, at least in my mind, the idea that we have families of gods. If we go back to the saga, certainly family memories never talk about um, people going to different gods for different things or them being related to different classes. Um, the in most cases, we're dealing with a single one god that, that was really an all-purpose god and not just related to, for example, fertility or war. And in most cases, the most widespread god is going to be thought, which is also backed up by place names. Well, that's really interesting. And I have to ask, you mentioned the Roman historian Tacitus, and he would have been writing right around the year 100 AD. Now, obviously, that's many hundreds of years before the Viking Age, as we know it, began. Does the fact that, number one, Tacitus is writing many hundreds of years before the Viking Age, number one, and number two, the fact that he would have been not directly traveling in Scandinavia, if I'm correct, he would have been in what is today primarily modern-day Germany and Gaul and those regions, does that really affect the accuracy of his writings when, if we were to try to understand how the Old Norse peoples of Scandinavia worshipped? I think what we need to bear in mind, first of all, uh, the area that he's dealing with, he, he writes, he's writing about people in, in Denmark as well, very clearly. Um, so he's, he's had, he knows about people from that area. Other accounts talk about areas, the area of Scandia, um, to touching on that area. But um, in, in the case of, of uh, Tartarus, as I say, he does mention this god Nerthus, which is clearly connected, closely connected to the name Nerthus. Um, who is a female goddess who travels by wagon um, a, a, around from an island around around her part of Denmark, 
And in later times, we have um, evidence again of gods traveling in wagons very much like this. We have the Oseberg wagon, for example, in, in, in Oslo. And we have other accounts telling of the god Freyd traveling in a wagon around the landscape, blessing people as he goes, often in wintertime. So there, there are parallels there. The, the mention of a tribe called the Ingvionas, which clearly connects us to the god Ingvi Freyd as well. So it, most, most people accept that, that um, the, the peoples he's talking about were closely related to the Nordic peoples, had trading connections with them and, and, and similar forms of beliefs. The same with the, with the idea of, as I say, runes. Um, when people are talking about casting runes, many of them are going back to this, this account of him talking of people throwing down twigs with, with marks on them. So Tacitus is, is clearly dealing with a, with a similar sort of society, and a society that's not actually changing that much over time. If we look at places of worship um, in Denmark and in, in Sweden and elsewhere, we find worship going on in the same place for up to a thousand years in some places. Um, so, so clearly, this isn't, there isn't a lot of change except at particular times when we find, find the landscape, the, the, the climate changing quite radically. Um, uh, that's like in particular at around 500 AD, 500 AD, when there was a, a large volcanic eruption which almost wiped out the sun for, for, for people in the north for about two, two three years and clearly had a, had a strong effect on images of the sun on the island of Gotland, where, where pictures of the sun just disappear after this period and seem to be closely related to this. So in, 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 in short, Tacitus has, has, um, is used as a source for um, the Germanic religions, even though he's a long time earlier, but certainly connects us to, to um, much earlier periods. Understood. That makes sense. Well, now, some other source material for understanding the historical worship of the Norse gods that comes to mind are things that have been found in archaeological excavations, perhaps Mjolnir pendants or figurines depicting various Norse gods and goddesses. Are there, is there anything in there that we should bear in mind that provides an insight into how the Norse gods were worshipped? Exactly. The, the, the great thing about archaeology is, is um, that, of course, that comes from the site in question. It was, it was buried at a particular period and, and is, is, in a sense, more accurate as a picture of, of things as they were at that particular time than, say, these later accounts, um, certainly in terms of burial practices and things of this kind. And here we find a whole range of, 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 of evidence about belief Certainly, in connection with death and, and and practices to to whether you're going to cremate bodies or whether you're going to bury them, but also in terms of as you say things like amulets, um, the the Thor's hammer being being a typical example. And I have a student here who's just finished doing a database of Thor's hammers, which is available online to people. Her name is Katie Beard, um, and uh, I think the database is called Atri E I T R I, um, which uh, people can look at if they like. But certainly, we find people being buried with, with the hammer symbol. We see, of course, the, the, the cross gradually arriving over time. We have um, images of what seem to be three gods on, on, a, on a, um, a stone from the island of Gotland, which has three figures walking in line, one with a spear, one with what seems to be a sort of hammer, and one with a sort of scythe, um, which could well be Odin and Freyr and Thor. Um, there are, uh, I'm trying to think of, think of other, other sort of uh, things that have been found. We have little, little, um, thrones that have been found in some places, which might be associated with the seats that the gods sit in to see over the world. 
Um, and then, of course, there are these, as, as, as we've mentioned before, runic inscriptions, which clearly use the name of the god Thor rather than Odin um, in, in, in very wide terms. Um, Thor being the one who, who consecrates or blesses the, the, the runes or the star, rune stone. Odin's name um, is very, very um, rare in this connection, which is a little bit surprising when we look at later, later accounts which try to connect him to the runes. So yeah, um, th- then we can go on to to things like uh, the the, the Oseberg, um burial, for example, which has this wonderful tapestry with it, showing um, a funeral procession and figures wearing masks and costumes of various kinds. We have the objects being buried with the ship, like a particular sort of um, rattle um, that that would have been used probably to frighten away bad spirits, and a particular stick that she is buried with. Um, which, as uh, scholars like um, like Neil Price, for example, has un- have underlined along with Lasha Gardella, that these sticks are often found in the graves of women who seem to have been seeresses, um, and they seem to have just just be associated with women. So we have we have various aspects of of um, religious belief and practice being shown by archaeology, most definitely. Interesting, interesting. And you mentioned it just a few moments ago, but. Talking about um, you know Viking or Old Norse burials or graves, is, is there anything in there that can provide somewhat of a glimpse into uh, understanding how the Norse gods were worshipped? Well, certainly um, uh, this this variety between whether people were cremated or buried underlines that there was a difference in in practice and belief, and we see that also from other places like the settlement of Iceland and the way that people settle land. There was a lot of variety. There wasn't one set religion in, by any means. And certainly Odin was by no means the big god, as we tend to take him as being. He was essentially a god of, of, of the new rulers that were setting up um, bases in places like Oslo and, and uh, Trondheim and, and Yelling and, and uh, uh, around Roskilde. So, so um, if, we come, if we come back to the, to the graves themselves, uh, Inglinger Saga talks about those who are um, who worship Odin being cremated, so they will, in a sense, go up into the sky. Um, those who worship the god Freyr, for example, they are buried in the ground and become part of the landscape. And certainly, the god Freyr seems to be associated in all ways with with the land and the, and uh, the geographical surroundings much more than say Odin does. So, yeah, um, the, the things that you're buried with. Aunt, we, we tend to, it's often said that what you're buried with, you need to take to the next world. But really, if, if you're going to set up home in the next world, you need to have a lot more than you're buried with. The things you're buried with are things that are really part of you in, in your life and things that are associated with you um, rather than other people. So people are, are, are putting into the grave your sword, your horse, your clothes, your um, th- things that really are part of you as they know you um, rather than things that you need for the, ne- for the next world. Um, but it certainly underlines the idea that there is um, there is a next world in, in one form or another, although that's something else that's starting to develop, um, was clearly developing over time. Most evidence points to the fact now that the idea of, of Valhut or Valhalla is, again, something that was created for warriors who were becoming associated with the large Viking armies in later times, Odin being, a, um, as I say, the, a, a god that the new rulers are taking up rather than everybody else knowing and worshipping. Uh, and Valhut, Valhalla, the is something that you 
your warriors need to believe in if they're going to go out and die for you rather than coming back to look after their farms. Um, so you need to create an afterlife of that kind in some way or other. So again, we need to be very wary of, of, of general um, archaeology encourages us to be wary of, of big generalizations about, about Old Norse belief. Um, there's a lot of things that we, we need to question. Place names certainly mention, uh, underline the, the same variety. Place names show that um, the god who is everywhere is Thor. Um, very similar, of course, to Jupiter and Jove in the past, uh, if you go further south in Indo-European religions. Odin being a god who's mainly associated with the new um, aristocratic centers um, where the armies are based. And Freyr and Njörður and Vanir being particularly associated with the area of Sweden. Um, and if we have another god like Tyr, he's only associated really with Denmark. A god called Udlur is only associated with, with uh, certain areas of Norway. So again, a variety. Um, uh, individual people, in a sense, having, having um, individual families, having an individual god, uh, which they passed on over time. And that ties nicely into my next question. I understand that different gods were worshipped for different reasons, you know, um, gods of more of the warlike nature, as opposed to perhaps a god that uh, symbolizes and manifests fertility. But this is a very basic question, but I feel as though it's a very important one. What is, is if there is one, is there a central motivation for worshipping certain gods among the Old Norse people? Or is that precisely what I mentioned, praying to a god of fertility to perhaps bless the harvest, you know, something like that? I think uh, what's, what we're beginning to become more and more aware of is, as I mentioned earlier on, that there wasn't uh, this idea of having of calling on different gods for different purposes um, seems to be something that, that, that's a sort of mistake in later times. Most people, um, the evidence that we have, at least from, from Iceland and the Book of Settlements and the Settlement of Iceland, there's no mention anywhere in the sagas of, of Icelanders or in the Book of Settlements of the god Odin. Um, he is, he is a, as I say, a, a, a warrior, aristocratic warrior figure. And I can come back to that in just a minute. He is certainly associated with that area of things. The other gods, on the other hand, um, like Thor, who is in one case associated with rain and in other cases associated with sort of protection. Thor is really, when it comes down to it, he is definitely a, a warrior god. He's the, he's the one who protects people against, against threats from outside. He's the god you call on when you go, when you go sailing. He's the god you call on for rain, and he's the one who blesses weddings as well and, and uh, fertility of the land. So he's an all-purpose god. Same thing with the, with the um, Swedish god Freyr, who um, is usually associated with fertility because the Vanir gods are associated with fertility. But he also has a horse called Bloody Hooved. He's, he's a, um, an aristocratic ruler as well, who seems to be the one initially who saw over the world from us figure that Odin replaces later on. So, so we need to get away, uh, away from the Dumazilian idea of different classes and different purposes, even though we have, a we have a hint at it from one account where from Snorri and one account from Sweden where a number of gods come together. But that's essentially because it's a national gathering of all sorts of, of gods from all over Sweden, really all of the main gods that the Swedes were worshipping. Odin, on the other hand, definitely is, there's little question that he's a god that's been brought in. Um, later in, in, in probably around about the, around about 400, 500, he's beginning to reach into Scandinavia and more into Sweden. Coming up from the south, like, like, uh, Thor, um, 
who goes right back to to Indian worship, of course, the figure of Indra, and and uh, in, in in India, and then Jove and Jupiter and Zeus in 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 um, Greece and Rome. But Odin is is seems to be um, seems to be associated with rulers pulling together armies made up of people from all over the country, people who are in a sense mercenaries who came in with a whole range of different beliefs and practices. And what the king needs to do to be able to make these people die, be ready to die for him is, in a sense, first of all, to set up an over-God, a sort of all-father figure, a little bit like the Romans had done with, with, the, with the Caesars that, that, that the uh, uh, German, German mercenaries had encountered, same as Charlemagne, who they'd also heard about from France. The idea of, a, of an over-God of some kind who is above all the local gods, in the same way that they want people to see them as an over-chieftain who's, who's uh, above everybody else. Um, and what clearly seems to be going on is, the, is an association between rulers and the god Odin, which we see in certain genealogies in later times, that the, the forefather is Odin somewhere. So what's being created, in a sense, is a, um, we, we see a number of elements being drawn from Christianity. Um, the idea of an over-father god um, who, uh, who can, you can travel with. You don't have to come back home and worship at the local, gro- at the, at the local grove. You can carry, it, carry this god with you just like you can with Christianity um, in the shape of the ruler to a certain extent who also wants to underline that he's more than just an, a normal person. He is semi-godlike himself. He's like the god Odin. So this seems to be something that... that is developing alongside um, new rulers who are ruling large areas of land who want to, in a sense, um, imitate the Roman emperors and then in later times the, the figures like Charlemagne, um, who are semi-godlike figures. So certainly they, they want, this is a god associated with warfare, with armies, and, and with the afterlife and magic, um, a sort of hidden uh, knowledge that when you sign up into in, into the group of warriors, you also sign into this religion and the secret knowledge that goes along with it. So Odin worship is, is is a little bit different to the other ones, which are more widespread. It is associated with a particular class of people. It is associated with war and death, um, but for a limited number of people. Fascinating. Well, Dr. Gunnell, the last question I'll ask you is this, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, you mentioned a volcanic eruption at the beginning of our conversation today. But I'm really curious, is there anything notable regarding how natural phenomena impacted worshippers of the Old Norse gods? I think certainly, um, if we, we, can, we can go back to several of these. If, if, with the end, of the, the, end of the, the end of the Bronze Age in, in, in Scandinavia, when you had a whole civilization of people doing rock carvings and various things, that was clearly put an end to by, by a very cold period that came in. Um, in, in, um, this is around about 500 BC. About a thousand years later, we get this, this, uh, volcanic eruption, which, as I say, wipes out harvests. And it does seem that around that period, from the Gotland, Gotland stones, which have a number of carvings on them, um, it seems images of the sun, which were very central and certainly central for Bronze Age carvings, um, disappear and they're replaced by pictures of ships and things instead. It seems around that period that that uh, god called Utlut seems to disappear and be replaced by the Vanir gods. Um, so these these things uh, clearly bring about change, partly because of the the, the sort of large scale death that takes place with these climatic disasters. Um, 
but then also uh um it, it means new people traveling to new places it means new lifestyles it means all sorts of things so these these things are of course have nothing to do with this this sort of um idea of global warming of course is something else on top of this um but these these are these are associated with some sort of natural catastrophe that took place um in the same way with with Iceland to a certain extent we have in the in the poem Völuspá talk about the sun going out and there was another eruption in Iceland in about 900 which would have caused large scale disruption um and maybe helped to to bring about the arrival of uh, acceptance of Christianity and a new god coming in Fascinating, fascinating. Well, Dr. Gunnell, thank you so much for joining me today. I've certainly learned a great deal from our conversation, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I will put links in the description of this episode to your books and certainly more of your work. But thank you so much for joining me today. Nice talking to you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about the Norse gods, visit my friends at Ancient History Encyclopedia and read their excellent array of articles on the Old Norse gods at ancient.eu. And of course, you'll find links to these articles in the description of this episode. <laughs>